Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chase the Gold Podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt, alongside me, the man, the myth, the legend, Jack Piatelli. Jack, how we doing? Doing really well today. You, you let your beard get a little long there. It needs to be trimmed up. It doesn't look very good. And we're going to have to mention Springfield College in this next episode, unfortunately for you, but we have a great guest. I'm really looking forward to talking to Pete Toner, head coach at Gettysburg. Yeah. Coach, how we doing? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Coach got the memo about shaving. I'm looking, I'm looking real rough right now, but great to have you on after you kind of had a good season at Gettysburg last year, heading into 2023. What what did you what have you learned in your time there in the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think I learned a lot last year. Obviously, taking over a program that you know, similar to what I played in, has had a coach here for thirty four years. So, when you come in on the heels of a, a coach that had unprecedented unprecedented success, like Coach Chantic had, and a and a tradition of winning and a tradition of how they do things, you kind of have to adapt on the fly a little bit. And I certainly brought my own experiences as an assistant coach. With a little bit of head coaching experience into a head coaching role and that that lens is just a lot different there's a lot more things you have to be in charge of there's a lot more things you have to think about there's a lot of things quite frankly that for 15 years in division one i didn't have to think about and then all of a sudden you get to division three and you do have to think about as it relates to booking travel and hotels and meals and deal with the parents and all that sort of stuff that it's just a little bit different in Division Three, but it was definitely a learning experience for me, being back in a head coach's seat, adopting a team that had 68 players when I got here with a roster that is desirable to be 55 or less, in my, my opinion. So there was some some tough conversations there to kind of work our way down to a manageable number. Came in with no assistant coaches and, and kind of worked that out as the year went on. So it was it was absolutely a learning experience for me getting to know a whole new team after spending more than a decade at Penn State and, and being really comfortable with the, the guys that I was coaching. It was a lot to take on. And I also have three young kids of my own. We moved from State College to Gettysburg. There was a lot that went into it. So definitely a huge learning curve for me from, from mid-July last year until where we are today. Yeah. And coach, you're one of the few guys that we've had on that have coached in all three divisions because you were at Bryant when they were division two. Usually I ask what are the differences, but I think it's kind of clear in, in this area. But you went to Springfield College, Division Three school, and now you're back in Division Three as a head coach. What is something that people might not understand about that transition from going D1 to D3 and not in a downward way, in a way that is you're just going to be a head coach instead of being an assistant? Yeah, I think for me, and, and I, I've had some great mentors, so to work for Mike Presser, work for Jeff Tambroni, I've learned a ton on the field, off the field, X's and O's, just how to run a program. And I think for me, I always wanted to be a head coach, but I also wanted to be at the right program. And I think if you look at a place like Gettysburg and people might scratch their head, and I've had this conversation before, like, why would you leave Penn State to go to Gettysburg? And, and if you look around Division Three, there certainly are some unbelievable programs, but there's also, a, I think, some programs that separate themselves in terms of just the level of support that they receive and how important your sport is on their campus. Gettysburg, the men's and women's teams are the premier sports on our campus. So not every division three program can say that. And I also think it's a place that values the sport. It's got a great education. It's got a very valuable degree. So when I'm comparing and contrasting, maybe being a division one head coach at some point at some time versus going to a place in division three where I know it's supported and they want you to compete for conference and national championships, but they also want you to recruit extremely bright and talented students in the classroom. To me, it was a home run. I think the location's a home run. Selfishly, my kids play in Baltimore. I mean, they play for the Crabs organization because it's an hour away. And most people probably wouldn't know that Gettysburg's that close to the MIAA. You're 90 minutes from DC. You're two hours or less from Philly. 
You can get into New Jersey, you can get into Long Island. So from a recruiting standpoint, the location is great. And again, you're, you're selling a really top-notch liberal arts education, a business school that is very successful. And an alumni base that quite frankly has more than three decades worth of winning tradition here at the college. And they want to support us in any way that they can. And they're all over the country. They're in New York City, they're in Chicago, they're in Charlotte, they're in DC, Philly, you name it. The alumni who played here are all over the place, some of which coach, but most of which are in, are in the industries that these guys want to want to graduate from here with and, and go on to work in. So it's, it's a pretty exciting, pretty exciting place to work, regardless of the Roman numeral. There's definitely some big differences between Division Three and Division One, but it's definitely a place that lacrosse is important, and that was important to me. Coach, I'm intrigued by 68 players on your roster when you took over the program. That's really unheard of. Maybe not so much to some programmers with going through this whole COVID thing and, and the portal, but was that pretty standard prior to you coming here that they had a roster that's i've talked to coach jancic a few times and every time he says i'm sorry i'm sorry about that i don't know what happened i think they, there was a couple of things COVID definitely threw a wrinkle into the roster because at one point they weren't going to play like the nescac the centennial conference and then they decided to play and they didn't decide until like march to play games during that 2021 season so a lot of kids were initially at Gettysburg, planning to be on the roster. And then those kids got a little gun shy about whether or not they're going to have a season. So they left campus. So they withdrew. So then when they decided to play in 2021, they were basically, and like a lot of college campuses, they were throwing out flyers around campuses. Does anybody play lacrosse? Because we only have 23 kids on our team all of a sudden. We're supposed to play six games. Right. So they took a number of kids that were just, already at Gettysburg, maybe played in high school, weren't necessarily recruited or maybe was offered or offered a walk-on type spot. And then coach retired after that season. So naturally when I come in as a new coach, all those kids think, well, I'm on this team. And maybe they wouldn't have been on that team had they not been asked to basically try out. So they had enough numbers to even practice during 2021. So they went from like a standard 55 or so man roster Close to 30 kids left school, so they went down to like 20-something, and then they added a bunch of kids just to be able to practice to play the six games that they got. And then those kids all thought, well, next fall I'll be back on the team. And then that was my problem to deal with. So <laughs> that's kind of how that shook out. But there were a number of reasons why we got rid of some guys. Some guys just self-selected and said, this isn't for me. New coach, different than what I signed up for. Some kids didn't cut it academically. Some kids didn't cut it socially. And then, honestly, the last reason why I was cutting kids, because they quite frankly, weren't good enough. There were a, a number of other steps taken before we even got to that point. And, and ultimately, there were a couple of guys that just quite frankly weren't good enough to be on a top five to 10 division three college across the roster, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that did happen at a lot of places in, in schools in your position, especially that are high academic, that kids like it's hard to get in, so they don't want to lose it. But so they withdrew, but they came back, right? And and I know for a fact that happened at, at one school. And I think, I think it's okay to say it because I talked to the coach about it, but it happened at Wesleyan with Coach Reba, who, you know, got stuck in the same kind of position that, that your, your predecessor was where guys withdrew to keep their eligibility to come back because they weren't sure they were going to have a season. And then they had it. And he, he, all of a sudden, Coach Reba who's had kids banging on his door to get in his program his whole, his whole career now has to go, okay, I need to get like a third goalie. I need to yeah. go get like, and he got, he got players from the hockey team and football team. The kid was a, 
like the fourth string goalie was from the football team. So it's people don't realize the impact that that had, especially at Division Three, where it's well documented that it happened in, in the Ivy Leagues, obviously. But and then they didn't have that season. So you see less of it. You just see the repercussions of guys going to play elsewhere for their graduate year. But for D3, it was a huge like not power shift, but like a shift in the way you have to build from what could have been nothing, just like you were describing. Yeah. And I think you throw in there too, most of the kids that were freshmen during that COVID year missed their senior year of high school Yep, and they missed their freshman year of college. So you immediately take two years of their development away and then they come back to a program with a new coach, a lot of kids. And oh, by the way, I'm playing lacrosse in two years and you're a sophomore now. So you should be up to speed with how this game should be played. And to be honest with you, those kids haven't caught up. Some of them have, some of them are just naturally gifted and, and they're going to figure it out. But a lot of those kids just did, never caught up or haven't caught up yet. And now they're juniors going in the spring. And if they haven't figured it out by now, the chances of them playing this spring or even next year are pretty, pretty slim unless they really develop. Yeah, I think also looking at your roster for, for this year, you brought in 15 guys. You know, how many of those were kind of in the works already? I mean, Division Three is a little different than D1. Everyone knows D1 kind of on a two-year window as far as that goes and committing and ending up going to the school. But 15 freshmen coming in, like, I would think that you're, you're involved in that to a certain degree that, that you would want guys in that are going to contribute. Yeah, it was an interesting time because... I got the job right around July 1st, which is also when the NESCACs come out and attack everybody from, again, I'm learning this as I go. They had been recruiting kids actively in that, in that 2022 high school graduation class. So they had a couple commits. The assistant coach who was here at TCD Bartolo, who's now the head coach of McDaniel, had been kind of communicating with kids and, and he was kind of bringing kids to my plate and saying, hey, these are the guys we've been talking to. All the while, for the last two weeks, I was still recruiting for Penn State, and I kind of made that agreement with Coach Tambroni. I said, hey, I'll, I'll kind of recruit through mid-July for Penn State, and then I'll start wearing my Gettysburg hat almost at the same time because I had to go through the whole two-week changeover process at both places. So it was a late start. I tried to really get out and see the kids that they had either already been talking to, had definitely expressed interest, or maybe had gotten admissions reads where they were going to be admissible, and then try to find kids on my own, kids that I... I knew we're going to come in and help us just based on what I look at as a, as a coach. Maybe they're a little smaller. Maybe they're a little bit less skilled or whatever from what I was recruiting into the Big Ten. But at the same time, I didn't know how good Gettysburg was. So I didn't really have a sample size to say, like, well, what do we even need? I knew we had a big roster, but they hadn't played for two years. I knew back in 2019, they were 19-3, and three, right? So, I mean, it's a program that obviously as tradition, but they hadn't played in two years. So I didn't even know what I was looking for. So I was really leaning on the assistant who I was, who I'd offered to keep on board at the time. And, and he was trying to kind of talk me through it and who we should be recruiting, who maybe we shouldn't, who's out of our reach, who's not going to help us. And then he all of a sudden up and left kind of out of the, out of the blue. So I definitely had an interesting first month of getting acclimated to what we were going to recruit. So I would say in that Freshman class we have now, probably of the 15, seven or eight of them are guys that, that I personally went out, saw, found, brought to campus, met with, said, this is the direction this program's going to go. Here's where it's been forever. Here's where we're going. We're going to build off tradition. We're going to build off a great education. We're going to build off all the things that are already in place, but some things are going to change. And that was kind of the group we assembled. And the freshmen have been great. They're, they're, they're really good kids. We have a couple that are definitely going to help us as freshmen. 
And and that's a good sign, especially when we have 19 seniors on this team. So I feel good about the direction that we were able to get with that group. Just It was just late in the process, and we were able to find some guys either way. Back to your roster, Coach. You've been able to draw some players from top programs in Massachusetts like Hingham, Lincoln Sudbury, Medfield, Tabor Academy, Connecticut, Darien, Hotchkiss, Avon. So that says a lot about Gettysburg and the tradition and, and the, the players that you're drawing from top programs. Yeah, it was funny. I was talking to Pete Sessa, who I know, a Springfield guy who I had recruited to Springfield and then try to recruit him to Wheaton when I left Springfield back way back. And obviously he went to Springfield, was a great player there and, and now works with 3D. And and he said that he's like, coach, don't you remember like all the New England kids wanted to go South. They wanted Gettysburg. They wanted Hampton, Sydney. They wanted W and L. They all wanted to go South. And I never really thought of, as I'm recruiting all these kids, but it, it is a good fit. I mean, a lot of those kids fit the academic profile. They fit the lacrosse profile. Some, in some degrees, they fit the financial profile. Like it makes sense. They go to really good high schools. They're getting great high school education. And now they can go to a great college opportunity as well. And a lot of those kids just fit. The obvious fits for us are kids from the MIAA, the IAC in DC, the Interact kids up in Philly, because they're within a couple hours. But you can definitely draw up into New England prep schools, New England public schools. We've got a bunch in our roster. They've had them over the course of time. And so they're some of our best players and some of our, our best incoming recruits, which we're really excited about. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think kids that are, that grow up in New England just kind of want a similar experience, but want to be a little farther away? I mean, I grew up in New England. I think you're just around it for so long that it's like, well, what's, what else is out there? And maybe I'm not a big school guy that's going to go down to Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or something like that, or even have that opportunity. But what can I do to get out of New England a little bit, still have a great experience, still get a great education? Those kids have been around and, and, and a part of the NESCAC and all those New England small athletic conference schools just growing up and playing on their campuses and going to their camps. Some kids just want something a little bit different. And we're not that far away. We had a kid down from Massachusetts the other day and it took him six and a half hours to get here in a car. So it's not like you're going to another side of the country. You can get here in a car, easily fly from Boston to BWI and drive from BWI to Gettysburg in an hour, 15 minutes. So you can get here in under two and a half hours if you really time it up correctly. So I think it's just for those kids that maybe want a little bit of a different experience, maybe want to get away from your standard where all your high school buddies are going and all the club guys you play with are all going to the same types of schools in the same area and give you a chance to get out and, and kind of make a path for yourself. Coach, you were at Penn State for a number of years and you evaluated some very good talent. You had some tremendous players come through while you were there from fabulous teams. How difficult has it been for you to adjust evaluating the players that will be a good fit for your program? Are you looking at players that could play top division one lacrosse and or are you looking at players with you think are very well suited for division three and does it take time for your eye to adjust to that the different levels from from spending so much time at Penn State and now that now at Gettysburg yeah that's a great question I think because of my experience at Penn State it's really easy to look out in a field and say okay those kids are not going to division three and then you can look out in the field and say, these kids are probably right in the middle. We call them tweeners. Like I could see that kid being on a division one roster, but you know, that's a kid that could help us based on now that we know what we have here at Gettysburg. And then there's guys that it's kind of a wait and see. Maybe it's a size factor. Maybe it's a skill factor. And, and in division three, you can wait a little bit longer. You don't have to have these kids decide during their junior year. So you might see a kid 
fall of his junior year. Like him, but you're not totally sure. I'd like to see more. You can see him again in the spring. You can see him that whole summer. And usually by the time we get into that summer, headed into their senior year, the Division One opportunities start to shrink. So, I mean, reality is even the, even the mid to lower D1s right now have 12 to 15 kids committed, some of them, right? So it's like, how many kids are they actually going to take? How many are going to be left over? I think kids start to open up to the fact that like, okay, if I'm just looking at this from a pure academic standpoint and I'm down to like a handful of Division One schools and a bunch of Division Three schools and we'll take lacrosse out of it, what's the best school? What's the best fit academically? That usually gets us into the into the door, so to speak. That gets us into the conversation because you can you can promote that academic experience. We definitely promote our alumni. And then when it comes down to lacrosse, we 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 have we have three kids go to division one rosters off of last year's team. This year's team will probably have six or seven that'll transfer and be fifth year guys on division one rosters. We have division one lacrosse players. Are they kids that were recruited by Maryland or Virginia or Duke or anything? No, certainly not. But they could have been on a Division One roster and just chose Division Three because of tradition, because of academics, because of the alumni connection. And that's what we're trying to sell. Go somewhere and maybe compete in four conference championships, maybe compete for a national championship, maybe play as a sophomore or junior, maybe be an all-conference or an all-American. Like, I remember when I played, that was exciting stuff. Whether it was Division Three, Division One, that was pretty cool to be a part of. So you can, you can tell the obvious guys that we're just not even going to bother recruiting. And you can tell the guys that you need to see more. I think it's identifying those kind of in the middle guys and then really attacking them with your with your sales pitch of why us over a mid to lower tier D1 or D2 now a little bit, why this is a better fit. So, Yeah, and I think the problem with recruiting on the parent side and the player side outside looking in, they don't understand that the process takes much longer in some cases for players and parents, and there's still time to end up at a very good place, whether it's Division Two or Division Three. And to your point, you may not close the door on a player until January or spring of his senior year, but you're going to end up at, at Gettysburg. And I get frustrated talking to parents about the whole recruiting thing because everybody's eyes are wide open and they want to go division one and you're a division three guy. I'm a division three guy. Kyle's a division three guy. And division three was a great opportunity for me. I know when I came out of Springfield college, I was a much better lacrosse player when I left Springfield because I played all four years and I knew guys that went to top division one players who never played very much. So when I got out of Springfield, I had an opportunity to go to Australia and to play professionally. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not gone to Springfield or played somewhere at Division One. So I know I'm, I'm rattling on a little bit, but be patient. And if you really want something, spend the time on what you have to do to get that something. Yeah, it's funny. When when kids come in and talk about Division One, I, I usually ask them, I'm like, have you ever watched a high-level Division Three lacrosse game? And they're like, no. I'm like, you should. Because you could watch a mid-level Division One game and, and want to poke your eyeballs out some of those games. Because I've been a part of them, and I've seen a lot of them. You go watch like a Tufts versus an RIT or a Salisbury versus a Gettysburg, or a, you can't tell the difference. You, you, can, you can tell me all day long. I mean, obviously, it's not Duke, Virginia, Maryland, those types of schools. But there's not a big drop-off from top 10 Division Three lacrosse, especially head-to-head, to top 10 to 20, top 
20 to 30 division one lacrosse head to head. And again, I've been a part of both sides. So you watch it and see like there's division one kids running all over those fields. And, and we have a bunch of them at Gettysburg right now. I can tell you that. We're going to take a quick break, but there's more chasing the goal podcast on the way. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Lachsachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Lachsachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to laxachusetts.com. That's laxachusetts.com. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and laxjournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to laxjournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on club lacrosse, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to laxjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. This winter, Piatelli Lacrosse has a great way for you to stay in shape and play lacrosse. Kyle, yes. Yeah, starting in January, we have box lacrosse leagues for youth and high school. Players of all ages at two convenient locations in Agawam and Taunton, Massachusetts. The up-tempo pace of box lacrosse is an excellent way for players to learn to play faster and develop new skills that will make you more effective on the field in the spring. And coaches will be provided for each game, and all players will take part in mini-clinic prior to the game where we will work on different box lacrosse skills. Make the most of your offseason, play some box lacrosse. This program is open to all interested players. For more information on our Winter Box League, visit www.piatellilacrosse.com. Pete, I'll tell you, the, the players that are heading off to Division One to take their fifth year, I bet if they had gone to a Division One school to start, they wouldn't maybe have the opportunity to get a college graduate degree at a Division One program, or maybe not a plan a lot, but they're, they're better suited now to go to Division One because they've, they've been able to play and develop. And I think between ages of 21 and 26 are the most important years of, of development. Some of the best players are 26, 27, 28 years old in PLL and playing on the world team. Yeah, it's your brain. 
it's not just your body, it's your, your brain developing and, and realizing where you have to be on a field and, and to make an impact. And all the coaches are thinking the same thing. It's like, well, would I rather take my chances on a kid for one year who's got four years of playing experience at the college level or an incoming freshman who's never played? And yes, he might be all this, all that, under armor. Like, I've coached a number of those guys. Sometimes they don't pan out until they're a sophomore or junior. And then a kid disappears for a while. It's like, whatever happened to that kid? And then all of a sudden he resurfaces because he still needs a couple years to develop, even though he was this five-star top whatever recruit. He's still playing against guys that are four or five years older than him that have been around and have been through it. There's a big gap there. And and the very special ones can can just jump right in and do it. I even think back to Grant Amet when he was a freshman. Like we had moments where we were yanking that kid off the field and shaking our head, like, what are you doing out there? And and he ends up being one of the best to ever play the game, but it wasn't until he was a junior or a senior. It's pretty rare that those freshmen come in and are ready right away versus those fourth and fifth year seniors, sometimes six year seniors that have played a lot of lacrosse. And now it's like, okay, jump out there and show us what you can do. You know, our best defense is going to Syracuse next year. And I don't know, it's public, but he, he's going to Syracuse. And, and due to my conversation with Coach Petramala, they believe he's going to go there and play. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's not that far-fetched to think that like the best D3 lacrosse players out there are absolutely going to go and help a Division One roster, especially if it's only for one season. Yeah, and I think this, I, I've been of this opinion for a long time. The best teams in Division Three, I'm saying top 10, maybe even top 20, depending on the year. They beat all the bottom 10 teams in Division One. Not nine times out of 10, not eight times out of 10, 10 times out of 10. I'm going to say it. You don't have to say it. You don't have to agree with me. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that because I've seen top 10 teams. One of the great things about New England, by the way, is you see top 10 teams. You can go see Tufts. You can go see... Amherst, you can go see all these teams, and then you can also go see UMass or Quinnipiac or UMass Lowell or Bryant or one of those teams, and you can see for yourself. I mean, it's not about, it's not always about the division. I think everyone's just so hung up on it. I saw last week a kid that I think is so good. I'm not even going to give anything away because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I saw a kid that I thought was one of the best kids in his class. He committed to a D1 school, and I went, why did you do that? That's not, you did, You either did that to play, they threw a ton of money at you. That's not where you wanted to go because I've talked to you. I know that's not where, you, I've talked to your dad. I know that's not where you want to go, but now he's going there and I am upset about it because the kid could have been an all-time D3 goalie at a NESCAC school. And it's like, oh, they're out of spots or everyone's got a reason why something doesn't happen. And I think sometimes people just jump at the thing that comes that they think is the best early. Right. And everyone in this recruiting process, obviously it's different for division three, but division one, everything opened up for this class of 2024 and September 1st. Everyone knows that. You saw a bunch of kids go off the board. Those are the blue chip dudes. They were always going to go. They were always going to go. That's like not that many people. Okay. And people have no idea of the scope and everyone gets caught up in the rank. So I guess my question for you, coach, is with ranks, how much stock do you put in that now at a D, as a head coach at a D3 school? And how much did you put into it when you're an assistant? At- Depends on who's listening here. I think they're total BS, to be honest with you. Like, I, I, I agree with you, coach. I agree with you so I, much. I, I mean, I, the, the guys doing the rankings, I, I give them a lot of credit. They put a lot of time into it. They're not the experts, but they just throw them out there. And I think that 
Unfortunately, families buy into it. It's definitely come up in recruiting conversations. I'll never forget being back at Penn State and a mom called me and we had already committed her son. And it was after these rankings came out. She's like, I'm so sorry. She's apologizing. I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm so sorry. Player X isn't in the top 50 five-star rankings based on blah, blah, blah's recent article. And I'm like, we don't even look at it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, it definitely doesn't hurt you in recruiting. If all of a sudden you have 10 kids in your class and a bunch of them are five stars and four stars, it doesn't hurt, but it also doesn't make or break whether or not those kids are going to pan out. Mac O'Keefe is like the hundredth ranked kid in his class, according to the experts. And he's the all-time leading goal scorer in Division One lacrosse history. So I don't think there's a ton that, that, that I put into it. I don't even, I don't even look at it now, to be honest with you. Because I think if, if a kid is going to visit us or not, just based on what kind of ranking he has or how many stars he has next to his name, he's probably a good fit to come visit or he's not. If he's looking at it and saying, well, I'm a three-star, so I should be going Division One. I'm not even going to talk to a Division Three coach. He's probably not a guy I want on my team anyway because he's just going to be a headache for all four years because that's the way he thinks. So we just recruit the guys that we see. We think can help us. They're good, they're good uh, citizens. They're good students. And we get them on campus and we try to make sure that they're the right fit for what we're looking for. And if they're the right fit, that usually works out. And the unfortunate part about the rankings, Pete, is the parents and players get caught up in it. And that, mm -hmm. that's the unfortunate piece because they shouldn't get caught up in it because we talk about it all the time. Control what you can control. You can't control where you're going to be ranked or not. And who cares where you're ranked or not? We'll get out there and play and pick up some ground balls and let's see how you play on the field against whoever it is and just compete. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 God, anyone who sits on the side of a field can, can tell you who the five stars are. It's not that hard to figure out. It's not like, oh, where's this kid from? Who's I've never heard of him. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like if you've been around the game long enough, you guys have seen the game for so long. Us as coaches, like you can pick out the top hundred kids on a, on a field of 150 pretty easily. Sure. And then those are all your five stars. There you sure. go. <laughs> yeah. No question about it. And it, it, I wish that the recruiting camps too would do away with all-star teams because one not all your best players go to these showcases there's so many showcases now and i'll get emails from parents like oh johnny made this all-star team at this recruiting showcase well never heard of the showcase i have no idea <laughs> I don't even know where it is. Oh, was he the only player that attended this showcase? I mean, do you get any of that when, when players or parents tell you they made a, an all-star team for a showcase? It means absolutely nothing. Yeah, no. And there's so many showcases out there. You can't even sift through them. And, and when you were Division One, you knew about the events you needed to be at. Division Three, there's there's triple the amount of events that you've never even heard of. And right. It's like, this is a D3 so-and-so <laughs> showcase. It's like... Okay, well, who the heck's going to be at this thing? I, 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 I got to speak because I, I, I'm not saying I feel attacked, but a little bit because like kind of what I, I don't do ranks. I, I, I want to make that clear. I, I, if someone is doing ranks and they ask me, I will give my opinion every time, right? Especially if it's a kid that I've seen a bunch of times. I'll Listen, not, not charging you money to give you an opinion, okay? But the other side of that is who are we writing for who are we trying to give an insight into the game we're trying to we are writing for the parents we're not really writing for the kids we're writing for people to click on the article and read it and part of that part of that is tearing out a series of players now exactly what you said almost everyone can tell 
I don't think it's super a super special skill to tell who the best players are. I think the hardest part is four and three, and they don't do two and one, I don't think, in lacrosse. But if you're trying to do four and three, that's kind of where you need extra input. And I think like if we really wanted to make good rankings, if we wanted to do that, it would have to be a network of people, not just four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? It would have to be a larger network. And it would also no shots to the club teams, but it would also require the club teams to work together, which I think we know doesn't really happen that often, especially from rival ones and not necessarily even regional, just ones that are rivals in tournaments that are top teams. So I do think there's a little bit of, I'm going to push back like a tiny little bit on them not really having that much worth because like the worth is determined by the consumption. Now, it, it, I'm sure it doesn't have as much worth to you, but to me, I'm, I'm looking at a, a five-star ranking and I want to see why he's a five-star. That's me, like, because I want to see if I see the same thing on tape as him, right? Or as, as the person that does the eval. And I've done evals for other companies. And one of the things I always try to highlight is what is he really good at and what is he not good at, right? And I think a lot of coaches do do that. And th this is why we ask coaches what their evaluation criteria is, right? Like, I want to know what jumps out, all things being equal. Why would you take this kid over this kid over this kid? Right. And I can tell looking at some of your recruits and I have an email from one of your recruits that we can't discuss publicly, but his parent emailed me about you and why the kid is going there. And it's interesting because that email is he ended up getting a D1 offer. He had interest, but he chose Gettysburg for the awesome coaches, the merit scholarship and knowing he had a solid chance of playing. And I think those are three great reasons to play D3 that I would pitch to anyone on a D1 roster. That's what I would pitch you. I would pitch you that. And I think that's valuable, right? I think that that carries a lot of value. So not to get, I, I got way off track with that, but I do want to defend a little bit the, the rankings procedure because like it has to be done. You know what I mean? It has to be done. Could it be done better? A million percent. I'm on your side. But it does have to be done in terms of people clicking on articles. Like it has no, to be no done. No, no question has to be done, but it's whether you want to read it or not. You don't or, have to put you know, stock in it, no, but it exactly. has to be done. No, yeah, I, I, yeah. Could, I, I couldn't agree. It's going to be saying. it's going to be done as a matter of what you, you use it for. And Pete doesn't have any use for it. I don't have any use for it. So yeah. it is what it is. You have it to do what you have to small, do. It's such a small percentage of the kids, too, that actually get ranked. And yeah. I mean, you look at it like there's 70 Division One programs. I bet you of the 70 maybe 30 of them maybe probably that's probably high maybe 20 of them get a actual ranked kid in their class now some schools get eight or ten and there's 300 division three programs that probably aren't getting any ranked kids so all those right. kids are coming from somewhere and just because they're not ranked doesn't mean they're not gonna be good players there's just a it's just such a finite number of kids that actually get ranked and there's only a finite number of spots that actually those kids actually land at which is most likely in the upper tier of division one that would be my guess. And the other thing I would point out, and you can expand on this, Pete, is longevity in Division Three. Keith Bugby, John Klopacki, all these different coaches, your clock coach, Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen, they tend to they tend to stay at one place for a long period of time because it's a lifestyle, it's a great environment to work in, and you have good kids. Sometimes you have good years, sometimes you have bad years. But as long as you run a good program, you know, you're going to be there for a while. Division one, it's musical chess. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially yeah, no for assistance. I mean, yeah. I'll be honest, like I, I said it before, like to become a head coach at a program that I knew lacrosse was important was was a priority for me. I wanted to be somewhere in the Northeast, so to speak. Like my wife's from Philly. I'm a New England guy. I wasn't, whether or not even had the opportunity, but like working in Florida or Georgia or Texas or even out West, that doesn't excite me all that much. And then if you look at it, I mean, there's only so many division one jobs between Northern Virginia or Carolinas up to Massachusetts. There's only so many of them. And A, will you get offered one of them? I, I was in the mix with the Fairfield thing, the Harvard thing, Dartmouth a long time ago, BU a long time ago. And like, if you get offered those jobs and you take them, that's great. You end up being where you want to be and you're in division one, but I'm looking around a couple of years ago saying, okay, I don't see any jobs opening up anytime soon. Eventually Bill Tierney retires. Yeah. Matt Brown will probably be the next head coach of Denver. Eventually John announced he's going to retire. I'm not getting the Duke job. I mean, I'm a realist. Like how many jobs are actually going to open up where I could actually become a head coach? So if I'm making that comparison to Gettysburg, I'm saying, okay, it's a school that cares about lacrosse in a great location. You can win there. Clearly, Coach Jansen did it for 34 years. He's the second all-time winningest coach in college lacrosse history. Like, the guy won 475 games here. Like, it's not like you can't win here. I can stay in state, closer to my wife's family. And by the way, I have three sons that are now 10, 8, and 6 that are all playing sports on their own. And I was missing all that. To be honest with you, I was missing the majority of it because I was in Division One. So a lot of the boxes were checked. Become head coach. Great school, great location, longevity, like you said, Jack. I mean, th that definitely came into play. Like, you go there and settle in for the next 15 years easily, raise your kids in that town, send them off to high school and college, and then now you're 55, figure out what what are you going to do? Are you going to stay for the next 10, more, 10 years and ride this thing out, or are you going to keep coaching, or what are you going to do? So I think that that all came into the decision-making process for me, and I think I, I made the right decision. And my wife would probably say the same, although Gettysburg's a little small over town, the state college, but for the, for the, the happiness at home to see my kids more, to have day trips for games instead of be gone all weekend for the Sunday night game of the week in Michigan at 7 PM and you're home at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning on Monday, and then you're right back in the office. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to do when you have three young kids. And this definitely allowed me to, to have a little more work-life balance and not to say we work less, you might work more, but. I live five minutes away from campus and I can see my kids every single night before they go to bed. So all that came into the decision-making process. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand that if you're trying to make your full-time job lacrosse, you basically have to say goodbye to people starting February and I'll see you June 1st. Like it's kind of what, not all the time. And that's being a little dramatic, but I mean, I do that. <laughs> like someone will be like, oh, I am returned. I'm like, yeah, I'm in season. And, and part of that is, the busyness and the attention that you have to give to be successful, right? And being a D1 assistant is probably, I don't want to say thankless because there's a lot of the jobs that are more thankless than that, obviously in the world. But in lacrosse, like division one assistants are on the road. How many, how many days a year are you on the road? If you're, if you're a D1 assistant, 200? Yeah, at least. I mean, you're out there every day in the summer. You're doing all the winter, the fall recruiting. You're doing the winter camps. You're doing the stuff from over the, the break where you're supposed to be dead, but you're working so you can still do it. Like, you got to be out there because your opponents are out there, and that's just the way it goes. And if you're 40 or 41 or 42 with three young kids, you're different than the 25-year-old who's an assistant at whatever other school and doesn't have a kid, doesn't have any kids, doesn't have a wife, doesn't have – he's he's a young guy running around. He's like, this is great. I'll work everything. Make some money, be in new cities, meet new people. It's like, well, I'm I'm in a different 
spot than you in my life. Yeah. So that, that, that doesn't work for me anymore. If I want to stay married anyway. So <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely a different mindset. The older that you get, you still got to get out there and work. You still got to get out there and evaluate. I go out and watch every single kid we bring to campus. I make sure I see them in person multiple times. Like we're not just bringing kids out here to bring them out here. We're not over recruiting. We're being very intentional with it. And every kid, and maybe it came from Mac O'Keefe say, coach, this kid's really good. You got to go watch him. I'll go watch him. And if I think, if I, if I agree and I think he can help us, then we'll bring him to campus. And that's kind of the way we're doing things now. And it's just the timeline's different than what it was at Penn State. I mean, it was September, October, November, and you're done. Now it's stretched over you know, that full junior year through the summer. And, and by July 15th, our class will be full and we'll be done. And that's that's kind of the timeline that we'll work on. Are you looking for the same type of player you played with at, at Springfield College where you know, a lot of grit, a lot of grind, high compete level, playing angry, great teammate, dedicated to the classroom, to his teammates? Yeah, I mean, the three, I mean, we have three core values we talk about all the time with our guys and one, it's just your work ethic. I mean, you got to be a guy that's willing to work your tail off. And, and again, you just got to give your very best. Like not every kid's going to come to Gettysburg and get a 3-8 and coast through academic. Like some kids are going to have to struggle all the way through their four years and get that 2-8 or 2-9 and work as hard as they can. And if they get that, that's fine with me. You know what I mean? Like if you're working as hard as you can and you're getting the grades that you get, that's all I can ask of you. If you're a guy that's capable of a 3-8 and you're getting a 2-8, that's where you and I are going to have a problem. And that's where we're going to butt heads. And that's where you're probably not going to be a good fit here because you're you're not maximizing your potential in the classroom. And the same thing goes for the field and the weight room. If you could be an All-American, yet you practice half, half speed every day and you're not one, that's going to really bother me. So work ethic is one. Just being selfless and being willing to sacrifice. We have this in our locker room. It's, it's work ethic and sacrifice. You have to, you have to care about the guys around you. It's not about you. It's not about your stats, your playing time. You know, it's not about your parents. It's not about just making you happy as a part of this team. And if that's your mindset, you're not going to fit it. Because I want a locker room full of guys that, quite frankly, care more about the people around them and their success than they do their own. And if they get their own, that's great. And they're willing to work for it. That that's, that's certainly kind of the fruits of their labor. But if guys are selfish, they don't fit. And again, these are kids that are going to be around my kids. So if I have a team full of selfish guys that are lazy, don't work very hard, and then my kids are looking up to that, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. And then the third one is just how hard they, we want guys that winning's important. And if winning is not important, you're not going to fit it. Those are, those are three things that I, I'd make sure I ask about every kid when I talk to his high school coach or his club coach. Like, does he have these three things? Is he going to work his tail off? Is he going to be a great teammate and be willing to sacrifice? And he's a, is he an ultra competitive kid? Because if you don't care about winning, at the end of the day, we won't win a lot. And if we have a team full of those guys, it's it's going to be like, well, we win some, we lose some. This is great. But if you don't have those three intangibles, you're probably not fitting very well with our coaching staff. And I'm fortunate to, to work with two guys I coached at Penn State who got recruited in the same model. Nick Cardiel and Mac O'Keefe are two of the best players to play at the Division One level. And that's how they play. That's how they live their life. And that's how they're... Now working on my staff and, and making going to work very easy every day because they think like I think. And now we're getting the players to think like this and, and things are are quickly moving in the right direction to say, like, this is what we're filling our roster with. So get on board with it. And if you're not, that's fine. There's plenty of other things to do at Gettysburg College. But if you're not on board with these things, you just don't fit. So, yeah, a lot of the same intangibles that we we played with and look for at Springfield. And I've got a bunch of former college teammates that I think back on, I'm like, man, 
this guy reminds me of him from a talent standpoint. And, and those are our best guys. They're guys that are tough. They're mentally tough, physically tough. They want to win. They want to work for it. They'll, they'll grind when they have to. And they understand it's not just going to be given to them to, to be a top five program every year. It's they, they got to earn it. So. Pete, you talked about the men's and women's program being the number one athletic programs on campus. What is that like? What does it mean? And what's the experience for the players? Because it's very rare for have both programs, the number one athletic programs to be on camp. Yeah, there's just a ton of tradition for both sports. And I look at it like I've gotten to know the women's coach, Carol Cantelli, really well in the last year. She was also here for 30 plus years. So this was something that was built over time. Coach Jay was here for 34 she was here for 30 and they just, they just year after year after year brought in great kids. They competed at a really high level within their conference. I think on the men's side, the conference is caught up a little bit where on the women's side, it still kind of seems to be like Gettysburg and Franklin and Marshall and whoever wins that is kind of like the, the best team in the conference. But the women's team has won three national championships. The men's team has never won one, but have been to multiple championship games, multiple final fours, multiple elite eights. And the women have kind of done that all along as well. And I think these kids recognize it. Like there's an obligation as a lacrosse player here that you just got to be a little bit different. But when it comes to fraternities and sororities and all the other things that can get in the way, I think these kids think a little bit different. They're, they're ultra successful in the classroom and they try to compete at the very highest level they can on the field. And, and for a long, long time, I mean, this place has churned out conference championships on both sides. I mean, there was a stretch from like 92 to 2018, where I think Gettysburg had 15 of them on the men's side. And on the women's side, I think they had like 20 plus over that stretch. So an unbelievable amount of success for both programs. And I think, like I said, on the men's side, it's caught up. You think about schools like Franklin Marshall, Dickinson, or Sinus is a school that I think back to my playing days, probably would never have thought much about as far as just being a competitive team. Muhlenberg, Washington College, which when I played, they were it. They're down now and on their way back up with Coach Nostrand going there. So it's a tough conference. Swarthmore, I mean, there's there's teams, Haverford, McDaniel, teams that, that have gotten a lot better. And it's not just like it was 15 or 20 years ago. It was just Gettysburg and everybody else. That, that conference is knocked down, drag out every single game. And it's exciting to be a part of it. Well, when I played against Washington College in 1985 NCAA tournament, Rick Soule was on that team and Steve Bevel. That was one heck of a team. We got our asses whipped. Yeah, but I think Nostrand was on that team too. Probably was, yes. And But that was a great team. That team could have played against anybody, and I think they did. But to your point back, I mean, there was some great players that came out of Division Three throughout throughout the years. In terms of your players, it must be a great experience to play their game day. You must have a great following fans with, with the tradition and everything and being like the, the big athlete on campus. Yeah, no doubt. I think when the weather starts to warm up, nice things are only about 15 miles away from the Maryland border. So it gets warm here a little bit quicker. We do have some really good teams early in the year on our schedule, which I think kind of gets the fan base excited. We play home against Salisbury a week into the season. We play Stevenson early, which is another one that draws a lot of fans out because it's a good opponent. Washington and Lee's early in the schedule. Denison's early in the schedule. So I think you can kind of get off to a good start, especially if you play well against those teams to, to get word out on campus, say, hey, you've got the number six team in the country, Salisbury, playing against the number 10 team in the country, Gettysburg, on your campus this Saturday at one o'clock. Get out there and watch the game. And again, with a lot of 
notoriety about just being one of the premier programs on campus. You kind of word of mouth gets around and we definitely get a good turnout for fans. The parents are great. They travel everywhere. They're always out there in full force cheering our guys on. And we do play in a pretty cool venue. There's a, there's again, the town of Gettysburg, the civil war aspect, the history here is all still fully intact. We have a set of train tracks go right by the end of our field. And we do play in the football stadium, which is pretty cool. And I do think it's a pretty neat atmosphere with some really quality opponents coming through weekly with, with what we got out in front of us. So it's, it's definitely a neat place to play. Well, last thing I scrimmaged Gettysburg when I was at Springfield, somehow the players one night got a hold of the team vans and we started driving along the Gettysburg battlefields. <laughs> They're still here. I drive by them every day. I'm like, oh. We were lucky we didn't get arrested. We, we grabbed Coach Bugby's keys and went for a ride on the Gettysburg battlefields. Yeah, I think I nice did that place. once at Alvin College, too. We were, we were down in Lexington, Virginia, down at W and Allen. We got a hold of the van keys somehow. And leave that story for another day. I actually yeah. have a story to go here, but I am not telling it. We are not telling that on the podcast. Coach, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for listening to New England Cross Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time.